Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The one day we can record this podcast without, you know, Brad having to rush out directly after because his like fifth child has their seventh hockey practice of the day or he has, you know, his buddies, buddies, grandmas, friends, barbers, dog sitters, beer league needs a 15th forward or something like that. And the one day where Evan, you're actually alive and awake because you're, you know, this is your time recording before 9am. This is uh, the most alive anyone will ever see you. We spend 45 minutes just hanging out, not recording. And then our first attempt at recording is such a travesty. We're just doing it all over. Yeah, this is uh, attempt number three. <laughs> you- <laughs> don't say we don't do anything for anyone because this is attempt number three to start this podcast. You'd think after almost eight years, we'd be good at this. Absolutely I think not. it gets more difficult over time. It does, yeah. We, we are our own friction. It's a miracle that we're even here. Yeah, we're just perfectionists. That's really what it is. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it that. All right, folks, uh, the before dawn version of the Winged Wheel podcast, a little dramatic, uh, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, uh, mid-season uh, NHL review, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. The dawn of the dead joke was right there, Ryan, and you missed it. Anyways, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Again? As we said in our first attempt at recording this, your name isn't Evan, it's Lobstradamus. That's right. Because <laughs> what did you predict last episode? We're going one and one in the next two games. And you, I'm pretty sure you said or implied that they'd beat Toronto and lose to Columbus. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. And by God, that's what the, the Red Wings did. You have to, uh, you have to start predicting more cool stuff like draft lottery wins, um, trades where they garner like multiple first round picks, signing uh, you know, Dylan Larkin to a $7 million a year contract for years, just like really out there stuff that only your cosmic will can, uh, can manifest. The universe works in mysterious ways. I'm can only interpret the vibes it sends me. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, on this episode of the winged wheel podcast, we, uh, have two games to cover a, an exciting win over the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is always fun and far too, uh, Far too sparse over the last five years. And then a loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets, which predictable Red Wings. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the rumors of Lucas Raymond's demise being greatly exaggerated. Uh, we're going to talk more about Jake Wallman and, you know, Jonathan Berggren and all those guys. Uh, maybe a note on how Tyler Bertuzzi has done since he's come back. Uh, the Verona saga continues. Uh, uh, sensitive though that situation may be, it does deserve more attention with him being scratched twice by the AHL's Grand Rapid Griffins. Uh, we'll do a little bit of a mid-season check-in as the Red Wings are 41 games in. We're officially at the halfway mark. Uh, some news on Larkin's contract, or at least some more information on where the impasse is. Uh, maybe some notes about, about uh, Marco Casper and William Wallander. And then uh, news from across the NHL. Before all that, I want to let you know uh, about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Uh, so notable thing about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is that... Uh, gondola tickets are almost sold out already. The Gandhi gang. Yeah, it is. Uh, there are six seats left as of yesterday. I don't know if any more have gone since then, but if you want to be in the gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick have when they call the game, uh, from their broadcast booth in the gondola, um, 
those tickets don't get replenished. We cannot add any more. Those seats are finite. We have reserved every single gondola seat in the LCA. So what you see on that link is what is available. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnered event between uh, WWP and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, we host a live uh, pre-game recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We featured special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. There's a Q&A, there's merch, there's giveaway, there's prizes, there's a meet and greet with not just the host, but more importantly, the special guests. Uh, all of that's at Hockey Town Cafe, just a stone's throw away from the LCA. Then we all head over to the uh, game together. Your ticket also gets you access to the game, of course. It's a discounted ticket. You get a special Winged Wheel Podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds, uh, thanks to our friends at the Detroit Red Wings, goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, you sit in special Winged Wheel Podcast sections, so either the gondola, upper or lower bowl sections, you'll be with other Wind Wheel Podcast fans and listeners. And then there's always a, uh, a post-game after party as well. More details to come. There are some extra bonuses this time. We're going to keep those a secret for now. But DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. If you want to get those tickets, they're going fast. December of 2017 was the last time the Red Wings beat the Leafs in regulation. And it felt like December of 2017. So just a shade over five years. And finally... The Red Wings were able to do so at home, which is nice because for those who don't know, uh, the Leafs travel well to anywhere within like 10 hours of Toronto, um, the fans, I should say. And so it's a great atmosphere if you're, uh, if you're into like lively hockey atmospheres. Um, if you're a Red Wings fan who does not like seeing one shade of any color other than red uh, in the stands, then it is not a fun game because the Leafs fans do fill up the building really well. When the Red Wings were lower in the rebuild, sometimes it unfortunately might have been more than 50% Leafs fans, but I think it's it's back up to just slightly favoring the Wings now. So it'd be the let's go Red Wings, go Leafs, go opposing chance. Uh, so yeah, beating the Leafs in front of those fans is... Does it matter more than two points in the standings? No, but that was an impactful win for Detroit. Every team needs to um, vanquish their demons. And I don't know if the Leafs, the hockey team, or the Leafs, the fans, are those demons. We'll say both. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was important. And it, it it's over-exaggerating it, but when you're coming out of a rebuild and your team as bad as the Red Wings have been, and I know the Leafs aren't the only organization in the NHL that kind of hold this, you know, bragging rights over Detroit for so long, and... uh it's good to beat them so that this team remembers they can do it. The more of the Leafs and the Bruins and the Lightning wins you can get in a season helps the, the team realize that, yeah, maybe we actually are turning the corner. We'll, we'll ignore the second game when we get to it later, but yeah, like yeah. For, for the at this point in time, it was important. It does have that little bit of context to it. So the game opened up. First of all, it, it was a physical game. From the start, uh, and credit to Ben Sherratt, if uh, he had a, a very mixed bag of a weekend, you know, a lot of plays where Ben Sherratt didn't really look great out there. But again, it was another sample of this game of this is what Ben Sherratt was brought in for, and he had a really physical game, did a good job, um, a big hit on Justin Hall down the boards, uh, did a good job working over William Nylander. Um, got away with a nasty stick to the face to Michael Bunting. I at first thought Bunting was just being, you know, typical Bunting. Very chatty with the refs, to say the least. And uh, it was like a day later where I caught a different replay 
Um, and yeah, he caught him good in the face with that stick. So what you're telling me is if you just complain all the time, you don't get any penalties called. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, refs don't really love that. I don't know if it's like technically complaining. Like elder abuse is a very real crime. <laughs> Didn't get his old age security check in the mail that week. No. He's going to be talking about this one over the breakfast special for at least the next month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that McDonald's cashier had an earful the next day. <laughs> So uh, that was, I thought overall that was a good physical game for Ben Shira. And you know what? If you're playing an ultra-talented team where you're not exe- exactly uh, expecting to win in the box score, you need to kind of come in like that. Uh, but Lucas Raymond actually opened scoring. Dylan Larkin did a good job driving the net, both generated space and found Raymond who's trailing behind him. Uh, I thought that was a good demonstration of just like a little things kind of play. Uh, people don't uh, m- might not catch at first, but Larkin generating that space, like that's a set play. That's an important way to kind of uh, create the opportunity in a high danger area. And Lucas Raymond, that was also a demonstration of him finding space a little bit better. He's been on an absolute tear of late. And uh, that was a good job by him to find that space, picked it up, fired it home, and the Red Wings were up one nothing. Uh, and then uh, Robbie Fabry in the second period, power play goal from the slot, continues his strong return. Uh, right place, right time. And, uh, you know, for him to contribute on the power play too, I think maybe folks weren't expecting this much from Fabry, but for him to be firing on all cylinders, even on the man advantage, it's a good start for Detroit to go up to nothing. Yeah. And that power play goal, especially to finally see the Red Wings moving the puck, you know, cross ice, cross seam, whatever you want to call it again, because it feels like they have gotten away from that on the power play for a while, just because I don't know if the confidence has fallen off or, or the systems have broken down to the point where those opportunities just don't present themselves. And I know a Leaf lost his stick and that opened up the lane, et cetera, et cetera. But Kubelik, you know, all the way east-west to Berggren, who then comes east-west back to Fabry. It was refreshing is probably the word there. So the Red Wings uh, ended up going into the third up 2-1. Ben Schrott scored a full length of the ice uh, empty net goal, essentially as, as long of an, a, a Philip Hronick length empty net goal. And then... Uh, yeah, but his touch the ice doesn't count. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't the cruise missile like the previous ones. Yep. And then the Red Wings actually ended up with a late power play. Uh, the goalie was in the net and most siders scored the power play goal with like 20 seconds left in the game and did the uh, I can't hear you to the Leafs fans in the crowd. It was an, a hysterical sally from from most sider. Um Again, it, it just harks back to what we were talking about right at the start of this this point. It's an important win for the team, and they know it. Like, this is, does it matter more than two points? Technically, no, but yeah, it does. Yeah, and obviously the Leafs were missing Austin Matthews, so that helped the Red Wings out a whole bunch. But, you know, the Leafs still have Nylander, Tavares, Marner, Riley, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, on paper, still the better team. Uh, but, you know... Getting a, a clutch win against a very good opponent, and in a game where the Red Wings were able to execute their get back to that stifling five-on-five defense, you know, clogging up the neutral zone, not allowing the Leafs to get their legs under them, and, and really, really, you know, making them work for offense without Austin Matthews in the lineup. It was really, really good to see the Red Wings get back to that. You know, you're able to get back to your game plan, get a big win build up all this momentum <laughs> that should carry over into your next game against one of the worst teams in the NHL. You know, just textbook. 
I was going to say that it was an incredibly optimistic point from Brad. It was building up. I was a little concerned there for a second, but genuinely, genuinely though, for the first half of that, they, the Red Wings themselves hated their effort against the Jets where they won the previous game, hated it. They said it was one of their worst of the year and pretty much a terrible hellebuck was the reason why they won that game. Uh, I was really impressed with just one day off how Derek Lalonde was able to refocus the team against, I think, just as tough of an opponent. Uh, again, no Matthews, but still, it's the Leafs. Yep, that one day off in between games, apparently that's the key, eh? Well, yeah. yeah? We'll get there in a second. Uh, a couple notes there. Wallman and Sider, what a game from them. Individual points, uh, individual performances. Wallman, we saw him use his uh, his great skating to negate like really high danger chances maybe from Toronto. Sider had his goal, but the two of them together just displayed great chemistry, great footwork and passing on the breakout. Um, two players who can transport the puck down the ice on the same pairing seems to be working well and it's not necessarily clashing uh, like previous pairings. Not enough good stuff can be said about that, uh, those two right now. That has got to be one of the better defensive pairings in the NHL over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, Wallman especially has, I don't want to say surprise because I think we all, all knew he, there was something there. But, you know, some of the analytics behind Wallman indicate he is not just good, he is very good. Mm-hmm. And the eye test says he's been playing very good. And you pair him with a, an exceptional player like Mo Sider, you would hope for very good results, and that's what they've been giving them. So they had a great game. Again, Raymond as well has continued uh, his phenomenal streak here. And it, it almost took people by surprise how much he's been on fire. And I think that's just because he's been building his consistency back up as well. Not at the end of every night is he like, oh, Lucas Raymond, first star of the game, like lit up the score sheet three goals or anything like that, but he has kind of caught people off guard by with just how good he's been. So uh, again, nice to see that from him. That was the Toronto game. Big win. Does it change their their playoff perspective or projections or anything like that? Probably not even remotely, uh, but it was important. We talked about it. Oh, very quickly. The goal that was called back, the Toronto goal that was called back where um, the, the first first goal of his career for uh, the Toronto player, uh, McMahon. McMahon. Yeah, McMahon. And uh, he essentially tried to kick the puck up to a stick in a, a finesse play and it hit off Olimata and went in. There were, there were a lot of complaints about that goal. And I get it. But it's the rule, right? Any goal that goes in that originated with a kick doesn't count, period. That is like a fringe play. That is, I think, on the outskirts. It doesn't happen very often, but it, it's a demonstration of why the rule can sometimes be unfortunate. But I don't understand why people were so confused by that. That was a very easy no-goal call. I understand that a percentage of every fan base is just unsavable in terms of their <laughs> online opinions. And Welcome to the podcast. Yep. And I'm not going to dump on Leaf fans here because I understand that 95% of the Leaf fans who watch that probably went, yeah, no, I get it. That makes sense. It's a stupid rule and the rule should be changed, which I personally agree with. But that's the rule. It's no goal. Because remember when the Devils had three goals waved off against the Leafs? Yeah. And Leaf fans, this 5% of Leaf fans were all over Twitter saying, it's the rules. They were all, they were all the right coal and getting waved off. And they were right about that. This was one of the, this was an identical play. This happened in favor of the Leafs 
already this season, and now it goes the opposite against them, and those same 5% are losing their minds. So, good. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I I understand why your opinion is that it should be changed, but I I, I disagree. I just don't want any goals originating from kicks, because then you're going to have people kicking into like a scrum in front, just hoping for a deflection. I just don't want pucks kicked into the net, period. But that's just me. And we don't have the time for that debate today, so maybe we'll hang on. What are your thoughts on offsides? Uh, You know what? I've never really had a hard opinion one way or the other. (laughs) I think Brad Brad fell asleep one time when I asked him, so we'll just skate past that. Uh, The Red Wings host... Just like most teams skate past the blue line before the puck anyway. (laughs) The Red Wings uh, hosted Columbus a couple nights later, and... uh, Patrick Line had a hat trick a minute and a half into the second period, and the Red Wings are down four nothing. Exactly what we expected after all that momentum they gained against Toronto. I I see the Red Wings don't keep their resolutions either. My goodness, like it is so funny how a team can start so poorly and so uh, with such a lack of focus. Because I think there were a lot of different things that that contributed to it. That going down four nothing. But and it was just defensive lapses, like bad defensive lapses from multiple players. You know, you want to point to Sherratt, you want to point to Sider. Uh, I think Vili Huso gave up at least one that he shouldn't have. The that big fat rebound that I was that everyone was looking at that caused the whole hubbub in front of the net. Like that, if you want to point to a weakness from Huso, he occasionally gives up one of those. But the Red Wings keep putting themselves behind when they absolutely shouldn't have been. It's easy to say, oh, you shouldn't go down 4 nothing." But if you go down 4 nothing against, like, the Boston Bruins, people will be pretty forgiving of that. It's the Boston Bruins. They are having a historically good season. You shouldn't be leaving Patrick Line wide open. Like, Columbus isn't exactly swimming in shooting talent. That's the one guy who has elite-level shooting talent. If you are going to shut down one shooter on the Columbus Blue Jackets, make sure it's Patrick Line. Left him wide open. Hat-trick to start the game. Huso's not stopping two of those, for sure. The thing that I think drives me nuts the most, and honestly probably most of the fan base, isn't just that they went down 4 nothing to Columbus. Isn't just that it was coming off a big win against Toronto. It was how it happened. This is a team that has dramatically improved their five-on-five defense. This is a team that has played with a ton more discipline than they normally do. But if you look at just the first period of that game and those three goals that Columbus scored, every one of them was easily preventable, and it all went to hell. So many players were in a bad spot on that first line A goal. You can't even blame someone for it because... Both of the defense were overcommitted on the wrong side. Rasmussen was so high up in the slot, he completely missed line A behind him. Like, when a guy gets that wide open, everybody on the ice screwed up. Everybody. Then line A didn't even have to move. No. He was literally just standing there. And yeah. His assignment got lost. Shades of Ovi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ovi's never been that open in his whole career. There's no way. <laughs> then on the second goal, you get a fire drill and for like on top of the crease in a play where Huso probably should have, you know, corralled the puck. But even at that, you have how many Red Wings in the area? Get a stick, get a body, get the puck. Just bury somebody. Like you have all the options. Ben Girard comes in like a bowling ball, 
hits nothing, somehow squeezes between Huso and the Columbus player and ends up behind the net. So takes himself right out of the play. Now Columbus has to trade Oddman, and, you know, obviously nobody takes Gavrikov's stick in a goal. The third one, you can't fault Huso because Line A just whacked in a rebound that popped off the backboards, which those are impossible plays for goalies and a bit fluky. But the Red Wings defense, I think it was Sherratt and Hronik who were on the ice for this one, let Roslovic walk right in almost to the top of the circles unimpeded. Nothing drives, even in, even in beer league, stuff like that drives me crazy. Like, don't. Like, you need to gap up and at least be close enough. Take away their time and space and make them make a good play like, rather than just let them have a shooting gallery. Legit high-level beer league stuff. Like, don't leave a guy walk into the zone unimpeded all the way into a shooting lane. Just ridiculous, ridiculously bad gap control. And then, you know, after the shot, yeah, it's a bit fluky. It hits a backboard, ends up right on line A's tape. Who's going to do anything at that point? Nobody, obviously. But it should have never gotten to that point. So not only were the Red Wings down 3 nothing after one period, all three goals were stupid, brain-dead mistakes that an NHL team should not commit more than once a game, and the Red Wings did it three times in a period. The Red Wings being a third-period team and not playing the first 40, and we've said this before, it's just so weird, and you almost can't believe it after watching them for the last half decade. Uh, but that, again, this isn't the first time I'd say, like, probably a third or fourth just within the last few months where we've seen this kind of performance from the Red Wings. They look dead. The the arena was dead. Someone tweeted at me and they said, the LCA is so bored right now, people are taking their shirts off in the stands to keep themselves entertained, which was hysterical. But like nothing was happening until Matthew Olivier put the puck into his own net, credited Ole Mott with the goal. And at 4-1, like 13, 14 minutes left in the third, then the Red Wings all of a sudden came alive. It's like they remembered that they were a significantly better team than one of the league's worst in Columbus. Jake Wallman did that little shimmy move at the blue line, stepped up and uh, sniped one home, and all of a sudden 4-2. And then 4-3 because Lucas Raymond, with a, his sick almost, you know, Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk-esque backhand, good for 14 points in his last 12 games, made it 4-3. And honestly, a couple more minutes on the board. I I would not be shocked. I would actually put money on the fact that the Red Wings tie that game. They ultimately lost 4-3. Um, three, two periods of that kind of hockey, they win the game, let alone three. One period was enough to, to, to come back three goals from 4-0 down. This is what incremental progress looks like. Reed, it's often frustrating. You know, you don't build a winning team overnight. You don't build winning habits overnight. Just having good players doesn't equal winning. We've we've talked about that a million times, and we'll talk about it a million times more. And that's the role of coaching and, and leadership and experience and things like that. But on a micro level, if you're, you're asking, what do the Red Wings need to do to uh, have better outcomes this season? Because a lot of the numbers, standings-wise and otherwise, are the same as last year. It's this. It's... Okay, you have the players, you have the personnel, you have the ability. Now do it consistently. Do it for 60 minutes. Do it for 45 minutes. Don't make it so Huso has to bail you out for 40 minutes. Because Huso had an average to below average game for the first 40 minutes at best. And because of that, they there was nothing to support and they just completely fell apart. They need to be doing a lot better of a job of having a close to 60 minute performance. 
again, another maddening part about this game is the Red Wings have done that for very long stretches this season. I remember our big talking point for over a month, two month stretch early in the season was, yeah, the Red Wings are losing to the Bostons and, uh, you know, Carolinas of the world, but they're beating the Columbuses and the Montreals of the world because they're giving the same performance every night. They're, they're gapping up, they're stifling the neutral zone, they're responsible defensively, so they're just getting beat by the out-talented team, by the uh, more talented teams, and then they're beating the teams that they are more talented than because they are neutralizing the the game plans. They are neutralizing the middle of the ice. They are neutralizing the five-on-five play. So, so talent would be the discrepancy, which is all you can ever ask for of an NHL team. That has gone away in 2023. That is no longer there. We don't know what period, what team we're getting period to period at this point. Whereas we could look at probably October, November, and November and go, we know what team we're getting every night, every period, every game. And within a small margin of error, we are seeing that. I don't know why or how that has disappeared, but it has. What I'll say is that that's the part to me that's not surprising. Because we are now 41 games into a long NHL season. This is about where it falls off for teams who do fall off at any given point or at, on any year. Uh, we've seen it in the past for Red Wings where they had strong starts. By now they are faltering or starting to falter. Um, I I would contend that we know the why and it's a, it's a long season. It's a grind and this is part of the bigger picture which is that it's hard to do this thing consistently, and the teams who do consi- do it consistently are in playoff positions. Yeah, uh, and I just think that this is, if the Red Wings were to not make the playoffs, this is about where it would always start to to kind of veer off course. It started a bit earlier than I would have liked in December. I think they had a rocky December. I think injuries helped that along quite a bit, but uh, I'm not ready to say, you know, something's amiss here and something is seriously wrong. I I much more want to say yeah, this isn't great and they need to work on it. And obviously you need to point these things out, uh, but it's kind of par for course based on where the Red Wings are at. And I, I agree with you, but I think the underlying reason is confusing because you have a lot of veterans on this team who have gone through 82 game seasons, you know, and a lot of young players who haven't. And so if you're looking at, you know, a January collapse halfway through the season, you know, all the systems and, and the energy levels break down because the young guys, Raymond, Cider, Berggren, whoever are are tired and then and the veterans can't keep it up themselves. I, I would understand that point fully. Berggren, Raymond, and Cider might be the three best players on this team over that stretch. The young guys are the ones keeping them from getting waxed every night right now. Cider is having his best stretch of the season. Raymond is clearly having his best stretch of the season. Berggren hasn't slowed down yet and is still playing well. So is it the veterans that have just thrown the systems or are getting gassed, exhausted, whatever it might be to this point? Because the conventional reasons a rebuilding team or a team coming out of a rebuild break down around this time of the year, which you are right about, happens all the time. You can almost set your watch to it. The inverse is happening in Detroit now. The the rookies, the young guys, the sophomores are getting their legs back. I'd almost rather have that than the opposite. Oh, right? No, yeah. yeah, I agree. This is be- the better of the two problems to have because I have way more vested interest in how Lucas Raymond and Mozart are performing <laughs> yeah. than Dominic Kubelik and David Perron. But yeah, it, it's kind of the inverse of how this collapse 
and it's not a collapse. I mean, the Red Wings have won two of their last three games, although they got massively <laughs> outplayed in one of them and absolutely should not have won that game if not for Connor Hellebuck. Uh, but it, it's fascinating because this team can never just give us simple explanations for anything ever, even in on-ice play. Just to step back and look at this from a big picture point of view, isn't this nice? We are complaining as the Red Wings have lost their last two of their last three. Like we are you know, now, they've, ne- they've won two of their or, last three. Yeah, one, two of their last three. Oh, brave it, new world. Yeah, right? and we are needling over how they should be doing better. And and one of the wins should have looked better and they could have won three. And we're on prospect number 11 by this point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Our prospect profiles were in full rhythm by this point in the last five years. So this is nice. This, I, I, again, I have no problem at all with having this discussion, Brad, about, you know, the Red Wings are doing this, this, and this wrong. This is good. This can be worked on. Uh, but big picture, I think everyone here and most people listening are thinking, oh, this is so much nicer than previous years. Finally, we're here. I've been so excited for this day where I can bitch about them playing not good hockey because they're not playing good hockey and it's not because there's nobody good on the team. <laughs> it's, it's We no longer have to pretend that uh, terrible players can put up anything more than what they were doing. Remember when we were having this conversation around the same time last year and we're trying to understand why second line Adam Ernie isn't scoring more and this team's losing every game by five? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like They're hanging in games. They're hanging in games and that's like, don't even look at individual player performances. How many times have they gone down for nothing and made it interesting? They won one. Red Wings would, the Red Wings of old would never no. come back in that game. Yeah, this at is all. a nice change of pace. And hopefully, the Red Wings of future never go down like that against that team. Best not to do it too often. I'm not a scientist, but that's just me. Uh, those were the Red Wings' past two games. They have uh, an interesting slate coming up, almost like the road version of what they just had. Uh, so Monday night, Obstradamus. Uh, or, yeah, Monday afternoon in Colorado and uh, Tuesday night in Arizona. Evan, what's it going to be? It's going to be one and one. And you pick the order; doesn't matter. <laughs> it's one and one. Dealer's choice. And yes, uh, Monday afternoon. So uh, those were the Red Wings games. Some. Let's take a look now before the uh, the ad break here. Let's take a look at where the Red Wings are. Forty one games into the season. A lot of the outcomes aren't too different from last year. You can break it down into their advanced stats, their goals for per game, anything like that. You can break it down into how many points they have. You're not going to see a massive difference in performance or outcomes from last season. The Red Wings are currently 18, 16, and 7, good for 43 points, uh, 524 points percentage, and they are mm, 1, 2, 3. They're the fourth team out of a wild card spot right now. Uh, they have three games in hand on the Islanders, who are currently in that wild card spot and six points back. Uh, but they only have one game in hand on Pittsburgh, who is one point back uh, of the Islanders for that wild card spot. So to speak, they're not really in the playoff race. They're close enough where announcers have to kind of acknowledge it. Opposing uh, announcers, especially, are, are going to talk about the Red Wings wanting to fight for the playoffs. But as it stands, the Red Wings are sixth in the, in the division. They can and probably should pass Florida based on what Florida is doing right now. They have a worse points percentage, uh, but third or fourth last in the division isn't where Detroit would have wanted to be based on how October and November went. Your thoughts on where Detroit is at, at the halfway mark, overall perspective on how the season has gone, positive or negative, what's your outlook, what's your um, uh, grades, whatever you want to do halfway through Lalone's first season in Detroit. They're better 
which is all we kind of asked for this season if you want to oversimplify it. They're a little more talented. They're a little more structured up until recently. And the results are they're marginally better, but better. And with, you know, the emergence of Jonathan Berggren and Sider and Lucas Raymond's sophomore slump lasting less than half a season, Huso been up and down, but but seemingly an improvement in net and a potential solution for at least a couple more years. Overall, I'm I'm content. There's still a lot of things that leave me wanting, so I can't say I'm fully happy and I'm all the way there yet. Um, Who among us, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a few storylines lingering right now, leading up to the trade deadline and free agency that have me very uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and other stories that have me even more uncomfortable. But overall, I'm taking the season as a positive to this point. Yeah, for me, at this point in the season, based on where the Red Wings were last year at this point, it's an absolute improvement. And not only did they, you know, raise the raise the floor in terms of talent, um, we're starting to see the young guys really go on a tear right now, and that's a big one. And you know, we've seen, you know, it's great that we've that we've got David Perron and. Um, Andrew Kopp, you know, helping out with veteran presence. And Kubalik had a stretch where he was the hottest goal scorer in the NHL at one point. But for me, the big ones are, you know, what do we now have with Jake Wallman? Because um, he's looked really good. Um, yeah. So that that's a huge positive because I, you know, didn't really think about that a whole lot at the start of the season. Um, Soderblom, you know, no longer with the Red Wings down in Grand Rapids, but... You know, I wasn't entirely sure he would make the team, and I think he has a has a future with the Red Wings. Um, Berggren looks obviously very good as well. So, you know, the positives are coming with the right players. Yeah, and I think that's the main point. Like, uh, some folks might be looking at this and saying, well, Ryan, you just said the outcomes, the, the results aren't exactly different from last season, and not just in terms of points in the standings, but also look at the advanced uh, advanced stats, the, the numbers under the hood. Shouldn't that be concerning? But no, based on what you both said, like that's the the positives are coming from the right spots where you can be optimistic. The young guys, and not just talking about Raymond and Sider, but like you said, like the guys like uh, Berggren, uh, credit needs to be given to Michael Rasmussen for continuing to improve based on what we saw over the last season or so. Uh, Joe Valeno, I think, has been a little bit underappreciated this year. Uh, Soderblom, yeah, making the team out of camp. People forget that that's a big story and it has a future with this team. I'd be very concerned if all the heavy lifting was being done by the veterans who won't likely be part of the team when this team is contending. Yeah, like if Detroit's only real piece of the core that was performing was Dylan Larkin, like, yeah, it's great to know that Dylan Larkin is the star that we've always wanted him to be, but that'd be concerning if he was the only one. But yep. he his support is coming and... They're playing with him right now. Like you can see the future in the lineup right now. For the first time, most of Detroit's future talent or talent period doesn't lie outside of Detroit. And I think that's great. And one other thing I want to call out is, yeah, Detroit's lost a lot of games. More than what you'd hope for uh, a fan of any team doesn't want them to, to be at this point in the season, you know, sixth in the division. But think of the games Detroit's lost where they've hung in there. They've had their blowouts, but... 
you are almost wrong now if you tune out when Detroit goes down by two or three goals. That's how you know they're coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I wish four early. Oh boy, tune in for the third period. I wish they stopped playing that game a little bit. I, I wish you know they they had some more leads and they've had their fair share. But the Red Wings are hanging in there, hanging in there, and they they're more resilient. They're more on message. They're more focused overall. They have their lapses. This isn't a team where it's all positive. If it was all positive, we'd be talking about the playoffs right now and. Who they're buying at the deadline, so you know, don't get it twisted. But yeah, it, I don't think we're we're looking through Red Wings colored glasses here by saying this is a more optimistic sixth in, in the division than we would have said in previous years. Uh, there's a lot of improvement to be had, of course, uh, and that's part of the rebuilding process. But I would say if this was to be a positive year where they didn't have some otherworldly miraculous step forward where they were in a playoff spot on today, January 15th, then this was the reasonable step forward that we would have wanted to see from them in October when the season started. So overall, happy, optimistic, and keen to see because uh, there are some important storylines to come. All right. Uh, before we move forward here, I want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. All right, Dylan Larkin. His contract negotiation, I don't know if you can call it a dispute. For a dispute to be uh, declared, you'd need more information publicly. Um, he. He doesn't have a contract beyond this season and uh, is Detroit's captain, uh, only number one center and arguably their most important or one of their most important players. So uh, we've been, uh, there's been a lack of real information on it, but stuff has kind of been filtering through and based on what uh, kind of is both out there and what we're hearing, the impasse seems to be as expected. I think the offer from the Red Wings is somewhere in the 8.2 to maybe 8.4, give or take range on an eight-year deal. And initial or opening asks for the Red Wings uh, uh, or for Lark, from Larkin in his camp seems to have been around anywhere from 9.5 to 9.7 per year. So that to me is two things. One, not expected. For an opening offer, That's uh, it's actually... I wouldn't have been surprised if Larkin came in higher at around 10. And that might even have been the case. Like he, the, the, the margins for error here are high, as is anything coming out of the Eisenman sphere of information. Um, 9.5 to 9.7 makes sense as a high opening offer. And 
you know, the, the 8.2 to 8.4 hypothetical, like that's, yeah, you can see why that would be the offer from Eisenman. That's a not insurmountable impasse, the, the space between those numbers, but that's a pretty significant gap. That's as high as a million and a half a year. So where does this go from here? Because Eisenman is the kind of guy to hold fast, but Larkin has a lot of things in his favor, uh, trade control, uh, expiring contract. He's the captain. He's their only option at center and the cap is projected to go up at least somewhat. So it's so tough to say, cause you can never know. I know it's kind of an obscure reference, but the one contract negotiation historically that always makes me wary, even though the gap isn't big is how Ryan Smith's tenure first tenure with the Oilers ended. Jeez. Wow. It's, I know it's, an obscure one, but he was the captain of the team, beloved player, fan base loved him. He wasn't the captain, but like he was one of the leaders on the team. And they got stuck 500,000 apart. And they could not, neither side would budge off of that. And he ended up going to, I think it was the Islanders or the Avalanche at that point. So the gap between the Red Wings and Larkin doesn't seem massive, which is mostly positive news, but I'm not going to take that as a, oh, this is Problem solved, we got nothing to worry about. It does take the worry down a little bit. Someone's going to have to bend here. And Larkin has more reason. I think Larkin's number is closer to fair value than Eiserman's number, if those are the numbers. But Eiserman has also been historically very stubborn. You know, if I saw the offer, let's just say 8.4 and 9.5 to get as close as possible based on those numbers, they're a mil and a half apart. I think... 1.1 apart at that point. Yeah, Yeah. I think Larkin going down to like 9.1, 9.2 is very, very reasonable, but I don't see Eisenman coming up to that. I don't know that Larkin is a a 9.4, 9.5 player. Maybe like uh, my, my frame of reference needs to move. Once the cap goes up, but right now the Red Wings don't have the luxury of deciding deciding that though. Yeah, it's a catch twenty two, right? Like I understand that the circumstances were different in Tampa, but you don't want you don't I don't want to see the Red Wings run the risk of losing Larkin. We've talked about this ad nauseum, the impacts on if they lose Larkin, what kind of impact does that have to the rebuild? They made a lot of moves based on Larkin being on this team. You can lose Bertuzzi in a trade or whatever and still be okay. You can even lose Bertuzzi and Verona, which honestly is probably the most likely scenario at this point, and still be okay. You lose those two in Dylan Larkin and then consider the moves that you made this past offseason, then you're down Shits Creek without a paddle. At least somewhat in my mind. Yeah, you're right, Evan. A lot of the luxuries that Eisman might have had in previous negotiations, like that is going to be, those aren't there. And Larkin has a, a big hitter for an agency backing him up. This is a tough spot. Like, I don't think he's a nine and a half million dollar player, but a, a very fair argument is what choice do you have? That's, yeah. what, that's what it comes down to because. We can look at market value. We can look at comparables. We can look, was Matt Barzell overpaid? Was, you know, Josh Norris overpaid? Pick whatever top six center that just got a billion dollars. And is that a fair or not comparable to Dylan Larkin? But ultimately what this comes down to is if I, as the GM, or Ryan, I'm appointing you GM of the Detroit Red Wings right now. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. 
And I'm giving you two options and you have to pick between those two options. You can sign Dylan Larkin for a $9.5 million contract for eight years or you can let him walk. It's sign him. That's all you need to know about the negotiation then because that's what it comes down to. And I think, I mean, I'm not in the room obviously, but if I'm the Larkin camp, that's what I do. I, I say gesture broadly. Where is the other Dylan Larkin in this organization? Where is another Dylan Larkin that you can just get and sign right now for just the money? Like, I don't blame him at all for being where he is, if that is the case. Okay, but then let's let's at least give some credit to the, the tools that Eisenman has in his bag. He is going to say, all right, you walk, you don't get an eighth year. And if you walk, who is going to pay you like a first-line center? Chicago. Uh, Half the teams in the NHL would, would trip over themselves. Who has the cap work. space to, to pay Dylan Larkin $9.5 million a year? For a player of Dylan Larkin's caliber, teams will make moves to to allow that to happen. Like Again, there are some teams that just don't have the ability to make the moves to free up that much cap space. But there are teams who do have the ability to free up cap room. And it's a, Dylan Larkin's the number one center. Again, okay. teams will trip and fall over themselves to get him. So... What if the answer here is, okay, Dylan, you're going to go to another team who's going to pay you $500,000 more a year than what we're willing. That's that's a good chunk of money. That is, you know, $3.5 million over a seven-year contract. Sure. But then again, it's, we have the eighth year, so we can surpass that plus legacy because it matters to you to play in Detroit. You're the captain of this team. You care about seeing through the rebuild, you know, playing for your, essentially your hometown team and, and, uh, carrying the very significant mantle. I don't know that there's a captaincy in the NHL that has more weight to it than the Detroit Red Wings and the winged wheel sweater has. And whether or not you think it matters when it comes down to dollars, players have demonstrated time and time again that it does. Maybe not always. This is going to be the biggest contract of Larkin's career, but those are the bats that Eisenman is going to swing. He's going to say legacy. He's going to say captaincy, hometown, and the eighth year are what he has in his tool bag. I don't think I, I think it's it's fair and right for us to acknowledge the way Eisman negotiates, and we always use the Stamkos contract where he let that run to the eleventh hour, uh, and he used that uh, free agency negotiating window that that was in play. Little did he know he screwed over the Red Wings that he would then become the GM of. <laughs> Damn it, Steve! Uh, but I think it's also important to note that the circumstances are different this time. I can see Eisenman, yes, he plays hardball, very, very hardball to the point where, you know, he might have waived Ned this year because he wasn't worth the money, even though they don't need the cap right now. Uh, but I can see him coming up off of his his number at least a little bit. You got to pick your spots, right? Like, you know, it, it, negotiations are a war and, you know, sometimes you got to lose a battle to win the war, right? Like you got to, you, you, you get Dylan Larkin and you figure out how to massage your budget somewhere else. I'll tell you the most important thing, if you're going to look at this as a battle, the most important thing that Larkin and his camp did was not sign before last, uh, basically not sign before his trade protection kicked in. Yeah. And he won himself so much leverage with that, obviously switched his agency to like the, the biggest of big hitters. Uh, every move Larkin has made in Larkin's representation no matter who it was, has made at this point, has been geared towards maximizing the dollars on this contract. 
credit to him. That's what you're supposed to do as a player. And that's Eisenman's job. Everyone's doing their job right now. Yep. Um, it's just uncomfortable because for fans, it's like, it's not happy go lucky, you know, kumbaya, everyone wants to, to, you know, just win the cup. They all still do, but they all have their motives at this point. Um, and they're self-serving, so to speak, where Eisenman is trying to keep the team as cheap as possible. And Larkin is trying to earn as much as possible in his most, uh, in his highest earning potential years. What if Dylan Larkin doesn't believe in the direction of the Red Wings are going? Pure 100% speculation. I want to make that very clear that I'm just asking the question. No, that's fair. What if he looks at the Ottawa's or Buffalo's and is like, that's what we should be doing? I think, first of all, I doubt that. But uh, for, too, for the sake but of the just, hypothetical, yeah. Just a thought. I think we would have seen, I think even if Larkin thought that way, I think he has enough um Honor might not. Honor might be too aggressive or dramatic of a word. I think he'd have enough honor to say as much to Eisman and say, "Trade me." Then I don't think he yeah, would burn yeah. the Red Wings and then walk. I, I, that just yeah, doesn't seem uh, like Larkin yeah. to me. I agree yeah. with that. They're not this deep in negotiation. If that's the case, no, no, yeah. And by all accounts, they are negotiating. Just want to throw, put it out there. Yeah. Um, and there is some indication. I don't think anything's close, but at least uh, that the Bertuzzi and the Red Wings are talking now. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do based on his health. But uh, again, I, I'm still not terribly optimistic about that one. The only thing I could see changing is um, Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi's return goes so poorly. And it's not been like fantastic, but he's only a few games back now from his second broken hand um, that he says, well, I'm not earning anything out there right now. I'll sign something shorter term or for cheaper or whatever. The old Aaron Judge? Yeah. What? If Bertuzzi does what Aaron Judge did, I won't be mad. No, that'd be okay. Anyhow, that's where the Red Wings are at with uh, Larkin. And, uh, you know, not much has changed, so to speak. But the story as every day passes and there isn't uh, pen to paper becomes more interesting. So we talked about where the Red Wings are at. And Brad, you mentioned something like, uh, oh, there are some storylines that have you a little bit concerned or that you're following closely. One of them is Jacob Verona. We caught it just before we, we recorded last episode that he was a healthy scratch by the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, it was part of the veteran rule. He ended up being scratched for two games uh, in Grand Rapids. So th- the veteran rule is essentially a rule uh, that exists in the AHL as a preventative measure to stop teams from like just stacking rosters or loading them up with players who have been there, been in the pro leagues for a long time, or, you know, former NHL players, basically an easy-ish win in the AHL. Uh, they can have, the rule is a little bit nuanced, so not to get into all the nitty-gritty details, but you can only have so many players who have uh, uh, played, you know, more than a certain number of games in either the AHL, the NHL, or pro leagues. So with how the Grand Rapids Griffins are constructed, they had to cycle players out, uh, you know, players like Chris Colo and Lashoff had sat for a couple straight games and it essentially meant that uh, they weren't able to play until other veterans took their spot. So some have said very fairly, like, yeah, Verona is technically one of those veterans because of how many games he's played. Uh, and so this was just him taking his turn. Still, Jacob Verona is in Grand Rapids for a very specific reason. He is not ready for NHL hockey yet. His game is way off and he is there in the most optimistic outlook 
to get his game back, to get his legs back, and to sit him for two games, that's not nothing. That's a big message to send. I think there has been concern at both the NHL and the AHL level with Verona's game, uh, both in terms of where it's at and his attitude uh, about where it's at. Uh, I don't think they've seen the improvement that they've wanted to see, and I think they have a lot of questions about whether or not they will see that improvement. Basically, to not beat around the bush, the outlook isn't positive right now on Verona's turn to return to the Red Wings. I know it's an uncomfortable thought, but it's it's one that's out there. Uh, there's a lot of um, uncertainty about if he can even get back to where the Red Wings want him to be, to be back on the roster, let alone when. Nothing is certain. Things can change. Verona did come back after two games out. He uh, he played last night in the Red Wings or in the Griffins one nothing win, where Ned actually got a shutout. Uh, but it is things are bleak right now in the Verona situation. I, I, there's no other way to to say it. Like something has to turn around and has to turn around fast if we are going to see this thing trend towards Verona being back in a Red Wings jersey, if at all, let alone anytime soon. What's that going to be at this point is kind of what I'm wondering because originally he went to the AHL on a conditioning stint and I need everybody to keep that in the back of their head because it's very important for the context here. So he goes down for a conditioning stint. The Red Wings say they're going to extend it and then they outright wave him and keep him in Grand Rapids. So if this was still just giving him an extended conditioning stint, which I know was part of the theories, one of the theories going around when he got waived. Like, okay, yeah, well, he hasn't done really any hockey activities for a while. Maybe three games isn't enough if they waive him and then he gets to go longer. Okay, fair. But if it is a conditioning stint, you're not scratching him. You're getting him back into game shape. You're getting him ready for an NHL schedule. You're getting him ready for NHL uh, pace and sitting him and resting him for two straight games is not accomplishing that in any way. So I think we can throw that theory right out the window at this point. All right. Are the Red Wings showcasing him for a trade? Well, ideally you don't do that in the AHL at all. And if you are, you don't scratch him. You try to get his game right by any means necessary. And, you know, even if it's in the AHL, if he's if he's setting the world on fire, you know, point and a half, two points per game, whatever it might be, teams will perk up. Okay, well, that's not happening. So at this point, I'm at a loss. It's, I, I'm not going to say the Red Wings have given up on him because obviously that can't be the case. They're, pay, they're paying him too much money to, <laughs> to do that. Oh. So I, I don't know if this was sending a message. I don't know if... If it was literally just running a rotation, I think that's a little tone deaf because Verona is not in the same circumstance as the other veterans in the AHL. And right. fa- fair to those players or not, I understand it's fully not fair to the Lashoffs, Chris Cuolos, Oregans of the world. But it's not fair to the Griffins goalies right now that Ned's playing all the games because Ned is down there for a very specific reason and he's getting the run to get right. But Ned is performing. If they have issue with how Verona is not just playing, but also practicing and, you know, improving or there's a lack thereof of improvement, then 
it's it's in my mind justified for them to say, all right, if you're not going to play like an NHL player at all, then like you, if you still have AHL legs or whatever you want to call that, then yeah, you're going to sit the same as any AHL veteran. Which was leading to my third theory, which, you know, sometimes human nature gets overlooked in stuff like this, but I think the most logical reasoning here is they're just pissed. There's, uh, I, I think a lot of people were wondering whether or not we were going to see like a Verona trade. Like Those who were negative or, or not really optimistic about him returning to the Red Wings lineup thought, well, is Detroit going to get something out of him? Like you mentioned, Brad, I think a lot has to change even for that to transpire. Otherwise, you know, again, this is a situation that's trending towards. They don't have to, they, they don't technically have to make any decision by the trade deadline or even by the end of the season. He has another year left on his contract, but they also, you know, do they want to be paying him $5.25 million for another season is for a guy who isn't producing at the AHL level. Uh, more is going to be illuminated about this over time, uh, but for now, that's where it's at. It's uh, it's just not looking terribly positive. Some Red Wing prospects that deserve attention that we haven't talked about too much. Marco Casper and William Wallander over uh, with Rogla have been outstanding. They've been having fantastic seasons. And, uh, you know, for Wallander, especially who was drafted in 2020, people are... Um, were cautiously optimistic, but, you know, had a little bit of an up and down development process, but this year has been doing extremely well. Uh, he currently has 23 points, five goals, 18 assists in 34 games. And Marco Casper has uh, 18 points, six goals, 12 assists in 34 games with Rogla in the SHL. They're both important parts of that team. And there have been comparisons drawn to, you know, Mo Sider's production in his uh, D plus two year. I think the, someone made a, a post on Reddit that someone sent to me, actually. Um, yeah, by Monsieur AK on Reddit, noted that uh, Wallander has an almost identical points per game in his D-plus-2 season as Cider had. And then there's also comparisons drawn to Raymond and Casper in their production uh, at, the, at this point in their development. So how important is it for those two guys to continue to be strong prospects for the Red Wings, and where could they, they slot into the lineup? The answer here is unfortunately way more important than is fair to them. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, because Marco Casper looks like the only real center prospect in the entire organization, at least for a top six role with all due respect to Red Savage. Oh, hold on. Amadeus Lombardi is going to win heart trophies left and right. For a top six role with all due respect to Red Savage and Amadeus Lombardi. <laughs> The left side of Detroit's D thankfully has lots of options in the prospect uh, pipeline, but I don't think any have the offensive upside that William Wallander possess. So there is pressure on them because we need them, but they are living up to the pressures of playing in, you know, a top organization in a top league. Um, I think Casper leads all Rogla forwards in average time on ice. I know Wallander's up there for defensemen. They're both playing huge roles. Their production versus, you know, Wallander versus Sider and Casper versus Raymond is a little unfair because there are some usage and deployment discrepancies that really do impact these. Like 
Raymond was 12th on his team in average time on ice when he was putting up this production. Casper is first. But then again, there's the positive that comes with that of his team trusts him enough at 19 years old to be a top-line player at a arguably the most important position on the ice. So even though he's not producing at the same per-minute rate that Lucas Raymond did, he's been trusted with a far more significant role at a premium position. Cider was Rogla's top defenseman. He took all the tough minutes, et cetera, et cetera. We know what most Cider is and what most Cider did. Wallander is getting close to that, but he's he doesn't take the same defensive responsibilities that Mo did. So he is allowed to focus on his offense a little bit more, and he's succeeding in that, so nothing to complain about. So even though they're producing basically the same as Raymond and Cider, I, I still don't see them producing at that clip in the NHL, but... I think the recipe, how, how do I even phrase it? The recipe to getting Marco Casper and William Wallander to their ceilings is progressing nicely in that direction. Yeah, it's this is about as good as you can ask for with those two prospects in my mind. All right. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to support the show. Some of the benefits you get, you get entered into every single giveaway that we do. Uh, one giveaway that we're doing is two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of those are exclusive to Patreon supporters. Uh, additionally, you get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord, which is a great, great community, and uh, you get access to the uh, overtime uh, full overtime bonus episodes that post right after the main episode. So any questions that aren't uh, answered on the main episode get answered on the bonus one. And we uh, shoot the breeze and and have fun and let loose a little bit. So uh, just some of the benefits, uh, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. This name's ridiculous. Weeb Wheel Podcast says it'd be <laughs> it would be better for both Bert and the Wings for him to sign a one-year prove-it deal since his value is so low from injury. If you were Stevie Y, would you try to do that or maybe get a discount on a long-term deal with the very honest bargaining tool of uh, <laughs> you ain't ever healthy? If he gets traded now, it won't be for much. Bad for us. And he's got to hope for a, a Hollandish GM to overpay him. Bad for him. I, I, I know I just made this point, but here's the thing. There's no need for Bertuzzi. If he's going to do that, there's no need for him to do it now because why not just wait until free agency to just to see, right? doesn't hurt. Yeah, and if I'm Stevie, I'm not signing him to a long-term contract right now because, as stated, he ain't ever healthy. I I would consider it for the right price. I just think that price is so low that Bertuzzi wouldn't consider it. Yeah, to be borderline insulting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a tough situation. He also... I'm just begging him to stay away from the front of the net at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're supposed to run traffic on goalies, but something about his timing and how he does it, he's just, yeah, the players can shoot a little bit more responsibly, but so much of it is just, he's just in the way. I think I yelled at my TV last night. I'm like, Bert, just move, man. Like take the unscreen shot. Cause every time the puck hits him, I'm actually genuinely like I wince, like he's going to get injured. Please just stay healthy. Uh, Sergeant Slim Jim says, Hey guys, thanks for producing a high quality podcast. New patron. Thank you so much. Sar Sergeant Slim Jim. Love the name. Uh, it's helped me cope with the bad stretch of hockey from the wings over the last few years. Your insight into the rebuild, especially prospects has kept my spirits up and helped me understand what's going on with the wings during these bleak times. 
Uh, you keep saying that the Wings need some elite talent to carry them into a higher tier of competition. So my question is this. Who is the most likely talent that fits this criteria who the Wings could acquire in the next few years? Do they get this talent from draft, free agency, or trades? And what's the most likely path to get there? Thanks again for a great show, and let's go Red Wings. Connor Bedard. Yeah, easiest answer, but also the hardest because the probability is so low. And yet the probability might be the highest. Yeah, like look at Connor Bedard versus uh, Pasternak in free agency. Which is more likely? Bedard. Like they might be both hovering at like 1.5 to 2.5%. It's going to be less than 5% on both. So, you know, flip a coin. In all honesty, that's how it is. Like, I think the Red Wings are in a position now where they can sell themselves to free agents looking to get like, think of Artemi Panarin when he signed with New York. They could probably position themselves like that a little bit more reasonably. I think in a year. Detroit is definitely not New York. <laughs> no, no. But New York sold themselves to Panarin as, hey, we're going to be competing. But it's also in New York. It's New York, yes. Oh, you're talking geographically, yeah. New York is one of the most desirable destinations in the NHL, just whether or not they're good or bad. That's a really great point. Um, just pretend that doesn't exist for a second. Oh, okay, okay, I'll do Which, that. Which, you know... Yeah, we- no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Winnipeg is jumping for joy. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, you can simply do that? Just turn that <laughs> off? But I think Detroit can position themselves more and more over the next year, two, or maybe three to those kinds of free agents to say, yeah, we'll pay you the big money. You come here. At most, you'll have a year of hurt. And then you're going to look at the tools around you. You have Mo Sider, you have Dylan Larkin, you have Lucas Raymond, you have Yonchin Berggren, blah, 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 blah. Um, this is a team that's going to compete. I don't think they're at the peak of that yet. I think they have a ways to go. So yeah, free agency is still a little too unlikely for me. So unfortunately right now, I think trade is the most likely option. If we're talking about this one specific draft, because again, Every option we're talking about is very low percentage. So if I'm looking at getting a true top line forward in trade, pretty low. If we're talking in free agency, pretty low. If we're talking about Connor Bedard, pretty low. It depends how patient you are, but I think the, again, it's a very low percentage, but it might be the highest of the low percentages is Mitchkov falls down the board. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. You have to wait for him, and he doesn't help us for three years, but if you're looking at getting elite talent, uh, yeah, the the Russian kid with the Russian factor with the KHL contract who's having a good but maybe not dominant season like people expected, yeah, I could see that throwing a lot of question marks into people's heads, and if the Red Wings are the team that ends up taking the gamble on him and he pays off, he could pay off in a Kapri- uh, Kaprizov-type way. This and we've seen the last draft. Detroit moved up in the draft in the first round. Like Detroit moving up to grab somebody in this draft wouldn't shock me. And depending on what the trade is, obviously, it you know it might not be a bad move given how loaded the top ten is for this draft. Evan obviously referencing twenty twenty one where they moved up to grab Sebastian Kosa. Yeah. Um. This one is, uh, I'm going to let Evan answer this one first. This one's oh, no. from Matthew M. Rice. It says, if the three of you were currently GMs in the NHL, which would be the most successful? I'll uh, I'll be the GM of the Colorado Avalanche. No, no, I'll no. Say no. It's <laughs> going very well. No, don't talk about the team. Just which one of us would be most successful? Out of all of us or yeah. just you two? Out, out mm-hmm. of all of us. You included. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would be too much of the GM who's like a fan and like does the Barry uh, the Bill Zito like reactionary moves because I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
God, I hate to say it. I, I think it would might be Brad. <laughs> I honestly think it'd be you. You want to know why? Oh, really? Thank yeah. you. Well, I, I wasn't going to say myself, but... You know, you know. <laughs> but now that you've said it, I agree with the statement. You're, you're correct. Yes. <laughs> you know why I know why? He speaks a language. He does. I, at a pure level, Evan speaks hockey player better than you or I, Brad. And you, we're, all three of us are hockey players. We all speak it. But Evan, that is just so... <laughs> It's just his his entire ethos is like he lives, eats, and breathes as a hockey player does, I which will is why ad- he walks into walls I will so admit, much. I think Brad would be like a better like director of scouting, like the head of scouting, than a GM because if anyone's listened in the past eight years, prospect profiles are Brad's you know bread and br- butter. Uh, he loves it. Yeah, that was my point. Yeah, go ahead, Brad. Ta- talent evaluations. Eh? A key. Uh, no, yeah, Evan, because I feel like Evan would have one of two modes. And one, he's got that. I can do the Steve, th- Steve Eisenman level of patience where he's like, I know this is a good team. I'm not going to change it. We're going to get there eventually. Or, yeah, the opposite where he's just maximum chaos trades for everybody. But there would be no in between. My thousand yard stare is S tier yes. GM level. Yes. You know how. Um, you know how they they teach like if you're ever in a tough situation or a negotiation, state like only talk as you need to and make them fill the air because then people get uncomfortable and they say things that they weren't intending to say. You have that down to a T, to the point where I just yell at you before we even start arguing because I'm like I know what you're gonna do to win this argument and I need to just like kibosh it. It's like how some coaches in the NHL like tell a guy to come into the room and they just he just sits there for like 15 minutes. They don't say anything. And then he just loses it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. Uh, okay. This next comment from Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe says, who gets extended first, Larkin or Wallman? With the Coyotes as my B team, there was a silver lining with Columbus winning on Saturday. However, if the Red Wings lose on Tuesday, I'll consider it a double whammy. That game should be fun regardless. Based on the prices on the secondary market, I'm expecting at least a 65-35 Wings crowd. Personally, I'll be at the mullet... Uh, in my Kachina Datsuk jersey, so if you never hear from me again, you know why. I have it in my will for my estate to maintain ongoing support to the Dub Dub Club, so no worries there. Oh, that's actually... Excellent. That's the first time we've ever heard that, so thank you. I also think your Kachina Datsuk jersey is both an affront to humanity and objectively hysterical. Uh, Who gets extended first, Larkin or Wallman? Uh, I will say... I'll say Larkin only because I think they're going to want to know his number before they do much else. And I don't think Wallman is going to be, you know, a massive number, but if they extend him, I don't think it's going to be an insignificant one. Um, plus Wallman's on a heater right now. And I would imagine Eisman would want to wait for him to cool down before signing him. And you'd want to see through the trade deadline, just in case someone wants to crazy overpay for Wallman too. Right. Yep. Uh, Dazzer says with how poorly our 2018, who's, I think is a brand new patron. So welcome Dazzer and thank you for the support says with how poorly our 2018 draft went and only getting one NHL out of it in Berggren, it's really hard to see why, well, Valeno. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we talked about this last episode, how that draft, even with missing on Zadina is still playing out pretty well. Um, it's really hard to see why we were so aggressive this year with signing Friedens. When you look at Buffalo and Montreal, they have high-level talent specifically at the forward position, yet we had none, but Eisenman still pressed the gas to take the next step. At this point in the season, is it safe to say we should have waited one more year at a minimum till touching free agency as aggressive as we did? I think it's a really fair argument. 
Um, I'm torn on it most days. What puts me into the camp of though uncomfortable and though painful at points, I can see why Eisenman did it. And I, I mostly agree with it is just losing culture is so toxic and poisonous. It's so hard to turn that ship around and the Red Wings are only marginally better than they were last year. Yeah. So a little less pain for about very little gain in the standings. Uh, I'll take that all day. But yes, I totally understand that the point. Like this draft is loaded. Why did we raise the floor when we could be in the top three or something like that? But that's no guarantee. No, no. Look how bad Chicago. Chicago let in six goals on seven shots last night against Seattle. We can't compete with that. No. It's a point that we've actually raised quite a bit. Even if the Red Wings did absolutely nothing to help their roster, their roster as is was too good to be that bad. Yeah. You you would have had you would have seen worse versions I think of Cider and Raymond this year, uh, but I, there's still a chance that you get pushed down to like sixth or eighth, just with the Red Wings roster as it was. Like you have teams actively tanking, which is what you get when you have Bedard in the draft. All right, time for a couple of Reddit questions here. Um, Afezi says, "I want to hear some theories on why the team continues to start out games so flat and disinterested." If I had any, I I I would be coaching at a very high level right now. <laughs> um, I think it's it's one of those things where the team knows, the coach knows, and it's just part of that. You know, we talk a lot about this big mysterious what it takes to win, winning culture. What does that mean? And that's part of it is starting games on time, being focused, uh, getting the chemistry going. It's a million different things that contribute to that, and I, I think it's just part of the the team's overall development process, which is a long answer to say we don't really know for sure. There's a lot of good teams who have very similar problems of starting on time, so it's uh, it's not just a Red Wing problem. Uh, Leafs suck sixty nine, amazing name. <laughs> says uh, Elias Pettersson is rumored to one out of Vancouver. I uh, haven't heard that, but for the sake of this, let's uh, go with it. It's obvious, at least to me, that a top-line center is our biggest need. Do you think Eisenman explores this? If yes, what's a trade that you could realistically see going through? I would love Pedersen. Um, yeah, there's questions about how long can he stay healthy with the kind of game that comes around, at the, especially playoff time, whatever, but that's a uh, question for uh, teams who have Pedersen to ask themselves. If you can get a Pedersen, I want to get a Pedersen. The price will be high. You're talking multiple firsts, top end prospects, things like that. So, do you pay it? It's hard to trade your 2023 first if you protect it. Like, let's say you top eight protected. I can see. I, I would be okay with that. You'd have to add a lot more, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the Red Wings are in that weird place where if you're talking about like a. Tampa or Colorado and you go two first in their top round and their top prospect, you do it without blinking because you're giving up, you know, pick 28, pick 30 and, you know, a B-level prospect. With the Red Wings, if you go two first, you could be giving up and their top prospect, you're giving up three potential top line players because <laughs> of where they pick and, you know, depending on what you think of Edvinson and, and or Casper. So the Red Wings should try for it. They'd have to get creative because I, I think the the blanket ask probably wouldn't apply to Detroit because their circumstance would be different from likely the rest of the teams that would be interested. 
Uh, comment here from NextPi6884 uh, says, can Prashanth find out how many third period goals we had this time last season versus this season? For real, when the third period starts, I sit up and say, here we go, complete opposite of last year. And Prashanth actually already pulled this together. And he said, this year their wings have scored 53 goals in the third and given up 41. So that's good for a positive 12 goal differential. Last year through 41 games, the wings scored 37 and gave up 51. So negative 14 goal differential. So they are 26 goals better in the third period based on last year. So you want to talk about better outcomes. That's it right there. Don't worry about the first 40 minutes. Let's not talk about all that, but we're a third of the way to solving this bitch. Yeah. Like <laughs> 20, the third period, uh, if you had to pick one be- period to be playing your best hockey, if you had to only pick one, you'd pick the third, of course. Yep. You just wish you didn't have to only pick one and that's where the Red Wings are at. Uh, okay. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. We're going to be back with you on Wednesday. Uh, we have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. We have, uh, in a little while here, we have some fun interviews, uh, in store for you. So stay tuned for that. Uh, again, if you want your tickets to winged wheel podcast night at the LCA, get them soon. The tickets are going fast. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Uh, we'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, all of our listeners, new and old, and, uh, all of our Patreon supporters. Of course, they are the reason the show happens. Our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver with the number 69, Crying Ryan has been in a slime jamathong, Glenn Brabham, uh, Aiden White, new name level sponsor. Welcome, Aiden. Thank you so much for your support, man. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Carl Brutanen and Aluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Berry, Kaelin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, uh, Nedelkovic, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz. Oh, let me squeeze this name in here real quick. Uh, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciate About You, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan, and General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, uh, Brian Vasha, Brad Simmons, Carl Thames, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, uh, Griffey Boy, Ronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bongrips, Servo, The Hodag, The Old Water Bottle Book Hockey, uh, Ian Grant, and Rob Z. Thank you all so very much, and we will talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.